The Old Testament reading is from Ezekiel. Then he brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There, water was flowing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. And the water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east, and the water was coming out on the south side. Going on eastward with a cord in his hand, the man measured 1,000 cubits and then met, led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured 1,000 and led me through the water, and it was up to the waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Mortal, have you seen this? Then he led me back along the bank of the river. As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river a great many trees on one side and on the other. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, and when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, the water will become fresh. Wherever the river goes, every living creature that swims will live, that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. Once these waters reach there, it will become fresh, and everything will live where the river goes. People will stand fishing beside the sea from Engedi to Enelglaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of a great many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They are left to be for salt. On the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. The leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month, because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading from John. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, good morning. I'm very pleased that we get to finish our series on the presence of God right as we are beginning entering into Lent. And there's something about Ezekiel 47 that is this really beautiful bridge between these two concepts that uh, we're experiencing within the rhythms of the church. 
And if we were to take just this passage here in Ezekiel 47, we would have this piece of scripture that is really, really beautiful that we can examine. But it's almost a puzzle piece. It snaps into themes and history that belongs to the biblical text as a whole. But this, this one little piece, I mean, we could gaze at it because it has really beautiful things. It has temple themes, and there's water, and there's plants, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful text. And it is something that I've been thinking about and dwelling on for a while. I have a natural affinity towards this particular chapter. But more personally, I fairly recently took myself on a retreat um, which is an awkward space for me. I'm a very awkward retreater or retreatant, I guess is officially the name. Um, I tend to, my brain goes into overdrive and I like analyze everything. It takes me a really hard time to kind of settle down and then the retreat's over and then I'm like, that was dumb. And so I, I don't do retreats very often, but in this case, I was deeply, deeply, deeply exhausted. And I knew I just... I needed to get away. And I had lost like this ability to dream. And so I really was hoping that maybe there would be a portion of this retreat time that would be almost strategic. You're not supposed to go into retreats with like this big old plan for what God's gonna do, but I can't help it. And I really thought, okay, during this time of retreat, I'm gonna figure out what seeds to plant that is going to grow into this garden that I'm really excited about, that I'm really interested in, and it's going to push me into the next season of life. Towards the end of the retreat, you know, right at that point where you start to panic because God hasn't done anything yet and you know you're about to leave, I, I don't know if you all, this is weird confession time. I panic anyway um, at these kinds of things, and right at about that moment, I realized I can't start planting anything because I'm too dry. Like the soul of myself is so dry. It wouldn't matter if I poked seeds into that soil. Those seeds aren't going to grow because there's not healthy soil. And I came away going, I need to soak. And then this is the passage I get to teach on. So basically, God is saying, Cindy, start paying attention, right? And I just do it publicly in front of everyone, which is always really awkward. But in this portion in Ezekiel 47, we're entered into this portion of scripture where the people Ezekiel is addressing are people who are dry and also need to soak. So let's, and I don't know if, if you can identify with me, uh, based on a few conversations I've had with people, I think maybe it's not completely foreign of a concept. Um, all of us have had these things where portions of our career have gone awry. Dreams that we had have died. Maybe there are desires that have been left unfulfilled and they dry out so much that you think at some point it's dead and it's gonna go away. Right? And if that's you, join me in the awkwardness of today and maybe in the hope that Ezekiel has to offer us. What I'd like to do is I'd like to take this portion of Ezekiel as a puzzle piece 
and, and pick it up and just kind of look at the puzzle. You know how puzzle pieces, they always have like those weird side thing, like a semicircle or something, it snaps into another piece or it has a gap at the top and that fits another piece. So we're gonna look at how this chapter of Ezekiel fits different themes in the Hebrew Bible and then we're gonna push our way at the end into the Gospels. So let's look at like one side of this puzzle piece and I'm gonna call it the historic side. So what is the history? What's the timeline? Like where have we been? And it maps onto the things that we as a community have done. So I'm physically, see I love being untethered from the mic so I can walk. But let's say we started this series at the beginning of the year talking about creation, the creation narratives and how humans were created for the presence of God. And it's a beautiful garden-like temple. And then we moved, we shifted into a whole different time, type of context because now we're in the wilderness during the Exodus time. And this is when God calls forth all the artists of the community, breathes his spirit on them and says, here is a blueprint, you the artists, Go build, build this thing that becomes like a experiential installation in the middle of your community to remind people of the garden-like temple that they were built for and to remind them that God is in their midst. And then we moved out of that weird wilderness time and we entered into the land that God promised to give to his people. And we start to see Israelite society become more developed. It is more complex. They have a government structure now. They are in permanent homes. And so God lives in a permanent home. And so we have the temple that is built in Jerusalem doing the same thing, reminding them that God is crazy persistent throughout all generations to be embedded in the presence of his people. And the temple building is supposed to be this place that the people keep coming back to to remind themselves of who their God is and who they are as God's people and that they were originally designed for God's presence. Well, Ezekiel is over there. So to get to Ezekiel, we have to move our way through some pretty complex history that is really uncomfortable. The division of the community into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, lots of bad choices that are being made, lots of prophets who are sent trying to call people back into the center of what God wants for them, into the dream of who they were supposed to be. Northern Kingdom of Israel gets clobbered by the Assyrian Empire. They're taken away. Southern Kingdom of Judah is in the middle of a war zone. Babylon comes several different times to attack the Southern Kingdom of Judah. And at the time of Ezekiel, the historical figure Ezekiel, Babylon has come once and has skimmed off the top of society, all the elite of society, the learned people, so basically anyone who could pull an insurrection around themselves and try to resist the authority of Babylon. Ezekiel is part of that group of people that is pulled out of their land and taken away into exile. When Ezekiel is writing, he's addressing the other people who are in exile. 
all these people saying things like, why are we experiencing the punishment for the generations that came prior to us? Where's the fairness of that? And now what do we do? Because our whole entire identity is being based on God in our midst in this particular land. And now we're in exile. God's not here. Where's God? What's my identity? It sounds like a people group kind of dry, needing something, needing an infusion of hope. And so then we get to Ezekiel. Now, in our puzzle piece of Ezekiel, let's look at the top bit. This one is going to fit in a different way into like the themes of scripture. And I'm just going to say, let's look at Ezekiel as a whole book. What's going on with Ezekiel as a whole book? Because Ezekiel's writing in exile, but it is very Jerusalem-focused. So he's looking back and he's going to be explaining what is happening in their culture and society using Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem as his primary image carrier of explanations. For this, and because there's so much movement in this book, you need a geography lesson. Who is as excited as I am that there's an insert in the bulletin? Thank you for those hand raises. Okay, um, and if this, well, I'll just say, keep your eye open for the e-news that's coming out in the week because I have drone footage. And we're basically going to do this but through drones, which is really fun. So let's just look at a couple things, because this is assumed knowledge of Ezekiel and his audience. I mean, everyone kind of knew the shape of the land. They were all intimately familiar with this kind of stuff. And it will matter in the way that we read Ezekiel 47. So if you look on the side of the page that has the satellite picture, so you're looking at the picture at the top of the page, this is a little glimpse of the land as a whole. You can see the red dot. That's where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is up on the spine of the hill country. And you go, well, I'll do it facing you. So this is your west, looking at the picture, right? So you go down from the spine of the hill country out towards the great Mediterranean Sea. And even though this is a modern satellite picture, you can see it's quite densely populated from Jerusalem to the Mediterranean Sea. And it actually looks a little bit green. This is the area of agriculture modern day as well as in ancient times. And then look, go back to Jerusalem on the spine of the hills. But if your eyes go in the opposite direction to the east or to the right hand side on your picture, you can even see just based on the color of the satellite footage, it's like a blondish brown. And there aren't that many cities. So you can tell it's not densely populated. You cannot grow any kind of agriculture out there. It's next to impossible without super sophisticated ways of managing water. So from Jerusalem on the spine to the west, it's wet. To the east, it's dry and barren. Okay, so drop your eyes down to the next picture that is just below that. I drew in some red lines that sit at the base of a couple valleys. These valleys mark the shape of the city of Jerusalem from ancient times all the way up until the early 1900s. The city of Jerusalem was always in between these two valleys. 
So the one on the western side is that elongated, like snaking valley. That's the Hinnom Valley. The valley on the eastern side, which is primarily north-south oriented, is the Kidron Valley. And then the city expanded and contracted between those two valleys, depending on how strong the city was. On the eastern side, on the other side of the Kidron Valley, is the Mount of Olives. And so by the time you're on the Mount of Olives, you are outside the city because you're beyond where those valleys are. So this is important in the movement in the book of Ezekiel because Ezekiel is starting by showing us these visions of what is going on in the city of Jerusalem and focusing on the temple so that the temple becomes a mirror of what's happening, what's being reflected in the rest of society. And in these visions, we get all of this, this is the corruption. These are the bad choices. This is the way that you have um, started to follow other gods instead of following the way that God wants you to behave. This is what's going on. When you get to chapters 9 through 11, this is when Ezekiel reaches into your heart, your chest and squeezes your heart and makes you go, oh, good. Also not intuitive to modern audiences, so I'd like to help. In that picture that has the valleys, do you see the word temple? It basically roughly is kind of where the temple at this time was located. The temple, like the white box, was east-west oriented. It sat at the highest point on the eastern side of the city of Jerusalem. And in chapters 9 through 11, Ezekiel starts talking. He uses a phrase. He actually repeats this phrase. The glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim. And then there's movement. And so there's a vision. This is what's going on in the city. And then the glory of the God of Israel gets up over the top of the cherubim. Well, you may remember the cherubim cover the Ark of the Covenant. And it's located in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So at the beginning of chapter 9, we are located, let's say, for instance, on the letter T in the word temple. Okay, but then the glory of the God of Israel gets up over the cherubim and the cherubim move. And the glory of God now sits at the threshold between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. You're at the M in the word temple. But then the glory of the God of Israel gets up over the cherubim and it moves to the threshold of the temple on the far eastern side of the city. You're at the L in the word temple. And then at the very end of chapter 11, the glory of the God of Israel gets up onto the cherubim and moves and stands over the mountain that is to the east of the city. What mountain is that? the Mount of Olives. Once you're on the Mount of Olives, you are outside the city of Jerusalem. Oh, do you feel it? I feel the tension right here. Because for God's people whose identity was built on God being in their midst, God just left. What do you do with that? It feels awkward. That's not the end. Uh, this is only the first 11 chapters. Ezekiel's quite a long book. And Ezekiel basically goes in, and it's a picture of we're going to clean out all that's corrupt in the city, everything. We're going to clean it all out. 
and let's start anew. And so we're going to build a new city, and God is going to be in the middle, and every person has access to God. And in the middle of the city, let's build another temple where everyone has access to God. And then towards the end of the book of Ezekiel, the Spirit of God comes back and sits in the temple, and we all start to go, oh, okay, like this is feeling better. And now we're going to get into Ezekiel 47, which is our passage, and we go, okay, so where, where is the hope in what Ezekiel is saying to those who are still in exile in a different place? And so this time Ezekiel says, all right, we're a little more accustomed to this God's spirit to being in the midst of his people, but I'm going to introduce another image that is a very powerful image, and it's one of water. And in a land that is very thirsty, in a land where people have to do very specific water management all year, not to die of thirst, water is a very powerful image, especially fresh water that flows like a river. That's living water. That's the best of all your water options. And Ezekiel says when God's spirit re-indwells, re-embodies this temple, water shows up. Oh, this is getting more exciting. And one of the things I love and adore is the temple leaks. This water leaves the temple. It doesn't just fill up. It doesn't just like the volume of the temple fill up the temple. It leaves and it flows and it goes elsewhere. And this again is now that you are geography savvy, I'd like you to turn the page over to look at the pictures. Because when we get into our text in Ezekiel 47, the river is already there. The river is leaving. And do you notice the direction the water is flowing? It leaves the temple and it leaves the city. And in verses 1 and verse 3, do you see the movement? It's to the east. What's on the eastern side of Jerusalem? What valley is going to capture water that is running off the mountains? The Kidron Valley. Where does the Kidron Valley go? To the east. Into what kind of terrain? Into the kind of terrain that is pictured here. So the picture that's at the top of the page is just outside Jerusalem. You don't have to go that far before you lose all vegetation, all springs. All, you can't grow anything there. It's really hard to exist out in that type of land. But in Ezekiel's vision, when he is directed and they go out and they follow the river, and as they follow it and they go further and further and further away from the city of Jerusalem, the water gets deeper and deeper and deeper and spreads. And then what happens? Everywhere the water goes, there's greenery. Things start growing. And so the picture that is at the top is the picture everyone would have had in their mind experientially. Oh, yeah, that's what is happening. But if the river's leaving the temple and flowing to the east into that kind of terrain, it can even transform dead terrain, dare I say, and turn it to life. What's even more amazing is as we read in this passage, when we get to, um, and I lost it, 
The river keeps flowing all the way to the east to the lowest portion that it can go in the Rift Valley itself. And it flows into the sea and it, the waters of the sea are healed, which makes you go, which sea? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea where nothing can live. The water that has the highest salination rate or uh, proportion uh, percentage. Something, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> where you can't help but float, right, in the Dead Sea. This sacred river leaving the temple falls all the way into the Rift Valley, flows into the Dead Sea, and now the Dead Sea is living and the waters are healed. And then it's filled with all kinds of fish like the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And so now this thing that was dead is fully alive. And so we get in Ezekiel a resurrection text of sorts. The power of the Spirit of God in the midst of his people is bursting forth from the temple and taking things that are the most dead and turning them into life. The second picture at the bottom of that page is at a spring that is kind of close, actually it's quite close to the Dead Sea. So there's a, a little bit of fresh water if you know where to go to find it and you can hike back into these canyons. And then suddenly you start to see greenery, which is always a good indicator that not only is there life, but there must be water somewhere. If you hike back in there, you start to see the effects of the water because everywhere the water goes, life forms. And there's, it's not even, you don't even have to be like right in the middle of the river. It's whatever the water sprays out and touches, that starts to push forth life. And there's flowers and there's vines that come popping out of the rock. The interesting thing is we can analyze this as much as we want. I could take you on a hike there, and I could make you really, really thirsty um, in this wilderness terrain. And I could walk back, and we could stand on an elevated place, and we could look down to where this river is, transforming the landscape around it. And we could talk about the effects of water, how water is amazing, we can't live without it, look at the transformation that it is doing. Like, we could have very intellectual conversations but you will never experience the life of the river until you get into it. Something else happens when you take a step into the river and let the river flow over the top of you. This is what I keep thinking about in the, I feel parched, do you feel parched? There's an invitation in Ezekiel to step into the river and to be transformed by this sacred river. The gospel reading that we had is quite amazing to read right next to Ezekiel because Jesus stands up at the temple that is rebuilt in Jerusalem and at the driest time of the year when the land is super thirsty, when people are starting to get very concerned over where their water for the next year is going to come from. So everyone's thirsty. And at this point, in a very Ezekiel-esque way, Jesus says, anyone who's thirsty, everyone's like, yeah, I'm thirsty. Come to me. And then from your innermost being will flow these rivers of living water. And you go, okay, Jesus. God's spirit is the one that has always created that kind of water. Who 
exactly are you again? Who can, who can you be to promise this kind of water? And then the gospel writers say, well, he is saying this to then speak of the spirit that will be poured out. And now we are on the side of the spirit has been poured out. And the invitation still remains. Would you like to step into the river? We do a lot of analyzing of what might happen if I step into the river. What would I have to give up to get off the trail I'm on to get into the river? Or if you're anything like me, you desperately want to get in the river, but there, there's this internal kind of pull because I don't quite understand what's going to happen on the other side. Like, sounds like a nice idea, but there's a little internal hesitation. And I always have to coax myself into leaning forward and getting in and getting into the, the water. So I think there is something that we can take away, especially as we finish out this. We are built for the presence of God, and we have just seen God proactively and very persistently follow his people and then point towards a time when it's not just the temple in Jerusalem, but it's when you're bathing in the spirit of God through the Holy Spirit that this renewal can happen. And it's an interesting invitation for us because on Wednesday we start Lent and then we work our way towards the resurrection but we could look at this text and say, well, maybe Lent for us can be a time where we examine our lives and go, where are the dry spots? Where are the things that I thought were dead, but maybe I'll dare to have a little bit of hope that there might just be a little bit of a resurrection in my life? And maybe as we do this self-examination, maybe with another person as well, kind of bringing that community aspect into it, Maybe by the time we get to Resurrection Sunday, we all go, I understand Ezekiel 47 in a whole new way. We stepped in. We stepped in and as a church built of the living stones, are, like we have been fully filled by the Holy Spirit and we are creating ways that's allowing the Holy Spirit to just rush out into the dryness of our community even. And everywhere the water goes, it will transform and turn to life. Let's pray. Holy God, the one who persistently goes after his people. The one who, when we are utterly and completely confused about life and where you are and our lack of experience of you or understanding of you, the one who is always there saying, just step into the water. May we, in the course of this day, may we, as we enter into the Lenten season on Wednesday, may we actually be bold enough to say, this is where things are dry. This is where I open up to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to bring life where I didn't even have hope to express that life could be experienced in this place again. In the name of Jesus, amen.